Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's The Wonky Show. Looks like an autumn election is in the offing. We'll look ahead to that. We've got new stuff out on sleep. We'll pick that up and we'll share thoughts from Helsinki. It's all coming up. Notwithstanding, you know, we've spoken about the general election and all that sort of stuff. We're doing pretty well in the UK. We are a Broadway musical. Um, but acting like um, we're a horrible fire. Welcome to The Wonky Show, your weekly range to this week's higher education news, policy and analysis. I'm Wonky's Associate Editor Jim Dickinson, live from Helsinki in Finland, where 40 students, union officers and staff have been touring students' nations, unions, universities and even the odd fraternity to learn more about representation and student life. So here to tell us more, as usual, three terrific guests. Lily Byrne is President of Sheffield Students' Union. Lily, your highlight of the trip, please. I think it's got to be the sense of overalls and the true passion for them in Finland. I think everybody's a bit addicted to them. The sense of identity everybody's got, the colour coordination between generations. I'm kind of jealous. I'd like that. More on the overalls later. Hannah Clark is VP Activities at Lincoln SU. Hannah, your highlight of the trip, please. Um, absolutely has to be taking a dip in a freezing cold lake and sitting in a sauna with um, too many CEOs for my liking. It's not all work, work, work. And Gary Hughes is Chief Exec at Durham Students Union. Gary, your highlight of the trip, please. Yeah, it wasn't overalls and I refused the sauna. Um, I think my highlight, uh, generally, it's uh, just great after uh, to be out with um, meeting so many enthusiastic people who tell stories about how they love their university and their country and they're doing it for the good of society. It's, uh, it gives you hope. Yes, now, great. More on that later. Now, uh, first of all, we start this week with the year ahead, Gary. Yes. Um, the worst kept secret in showbiz is that um, George Osborne tells us that an election is November the 14th. It's a secret that none of us could have guessed, but it does mean that all the policy stars are going to align in the next couple of months. And we're going to have to do, uh, make some choices, get some priorities and uh, pick our poison. Yes. Now, yeah, it's going to be quite a year. So, um, look, uh, as it stands, Lily, there is nothing from any of the major political parties really at all on students, is there? We've got no sense of what might... There might be nothing in the manifestos for students. Mm -hmm. There's a bit of a loss of identity, I think, and a loss of hope from all the student populations. We've heard nothing and had a little feedback from local MPs as well. So I think... Everyone's a little bit down in the run-up to the next general election. Yeah. Um, what do we do about this, uh, Hannah? What do we do? I mean, you know, you, you, there should be. There should, there should be a youth and student agenda, shouldn't there? Yeah, there absolutely should be. I think, um, particularly following COVID, I know it's all over everything, but cost of living um, and housing is absolutely should be on the agenda. And it's something that we've had not a lot about in regards to students. Um, so that's something that absolutely needs to be focused on going forwards. Gary, have we got ourselves into a position where this close to an election, there appears to be pretty much no retail offer for anyone under 40. I think you go where the votes are, don't you? The, the analysis uh, of all party leaders is that um, the demographic that turns out to vote that needs their interests catered for are people who have mortgages, who have children, who are um, struggling and they need a retail offer. People who are less inclined to vote, who are 
not paying tax uh, in the same way um, are just not the priority. I think there's something about geographical distribution and actually thinking about um, protecting or hunting whatever wall of whatever colour you're after at any time. Um, so I think uh, the point I make familiar is I think that the two main parties are a bit silent. We've got to remember that the other parties are actually trying to fill the space. Because mm. to be honest, what other space can they fill? Um, I think the agendas, if we look in Scotland, if we look from the Greens a little bit, if we look from the Lib Dems, there's a little bit there. You've got to realise it's a two-horse race, isn't it? Yeah. But Lily, am I, am I being um, naive here, right? So, I don't know. And, uh, sometimes talking about policy areas and, and, and parts of the population is difficult for politicians, right? Mm -hmm. but, but isn't there... Shouldn't, <laughs> shouldn't there just be like... Shouldn't politicians, leaders of political parties, feel a sense of duty towards talking to large chunks of the population. Like, we surely aren't going to get to September, November with nothing really in the manifesto on housing, intergenerational fairness, you know, student finance. Are we, like, could that happen, do you think? You'd think, you would hope that they'd actually <laughs> listen to this massive cohort of people. If they were starting to ignore the over 60s, everyone would be a little bit concerned. But they should be seeing the student population, whatever age that might be and whatever demographic, as the hope for the future. And I don't think they're seeing it as that progression. And they're not putting enough support into it to see the potential it could be in the future. But do you think that, do you think some of that might be the, the kind of, you know, the, the, the Starmer pushback against the youth quake? Because, you know, I mean, there was this sense, wasn't there, that wherever Corbyn went, he was surrounded by lots of young people. Mm -hmm. Do you think, you know, some of it might be a kind of, well, we're not, we're just not going to do what Corbyn did. And I think Corbyn continues to be surrounded by the youth at the moment. <laughs> but I'll be honest, I think that they're just running away from it. And I think we're getting this uh, lean towards right-wing rhetoric in all of UK democracy at the moment. And they're going where they think the votes are going to go. But at the moment, there just needs to be a massive push of the youth and the young voters in the next turnout. And I'm hoping that as SUs, we can support that movement and higher education and FE education too. And it's just a shame to see them not prioritising anyone at all, especially when the voices of the people are screaming one thing and they're completely ignorant to that. Mm. Yeah, so I guess one of the good pieces of news about November is that universities that haven't done that thing where when you enrol, you can pass your details onto the local electoral registration officer can finally get their arse into gear and actually get that system in place. That would really help for those people responsible for that that are listening this week. Um, but I mean... You know, interestingly, Hannah, you know, you live in a, in, in a seat which has been dominated by the Tories for a while, actually. Um, and, and I guess surely there must be some sense that there might be a chance of political change, not just because that party isn't doing very well this year, but because Lincoln's student population continues to grow. Well, Lincoln's student population is huge in the grand scheme of the city. Um, what sometimes frustrates me is that so the city was tiny and then the student population grew and that's what that's what fuels most of the economy. So I would really hope in kind of the same way that the student population would turn out to vote um, and be able to do something about that. Um, I think I would echo Lily really. I really think youth needs to vote. Like it worries me um, that people aren't necessarily as politically active as they used to be. Um, I, it's just so important to vote. It's so important to make your voice heard. And if you don't do that, there's not much we can do. But let me ask you both this, right? So... It's, well, it's normally at this time before an election, I mean, not that kind of snap election we had in 2019, right? But normally at this point in an election cycle, you'll have already had endless parliamentary candidates, prospective parliamentary candidates, phoning you up going, can I come and do a talk to students? Can I come and engage? With have you had much of that so far? In, in, I mean, you, you've got, 
you know, the, the biggest student seat, you know, the, the, the most dominated, you know, most dominated by student seat in the country in uh, Sheffield Central. Central Sheff yeah. Sheffield Central. Have, have you have you heard from any of the candidates yet? Candidates? No, we actually have quite a good relationship traditionally, anyways, with them. So yeah. we are in regular conversation. But in terms of the next general election, we've heard nothing. And um, there's constant engagement with a lot of the different institutions that we've got um, in Sheffield, the other university, Sheffield Hallam, as well as other Sheffield College and other institutions. Um, but apart from that, there's been no progress in relation to this whatsoever, just constant, the usual routine, which is still proactive and heard by our local politicians and councillors, and that's being developed, but definitely nothing new. Mm. No, to my knowledge, I've had um, nothing personally, and I don't know, I don't think anyone's been in touch with us at all. Just shocking, really. I mean, you know, how about in Durham, Gary? Actually, our, our MP is very coordinated, and the thing you've got to remember uh, about Durham is it is traditionally a very safe seat, mm. yeah. Um, yeah. despite the boundary changes. Um, and I sort of think the uncertainty about the election means that people are sort of in a still doing the work role. Mm. You know, Rishi is trying to send off, I haven't said anything, why are you looking eager, <laughs> uh, vibes. And, and so there is an extent to which people are still just trying to do the job. I do think, though, that the, and we've got to remember in the policy agendas, um, to riff off uh, Lily a little bit, that you can see students in migration. It's just not good. Mm. You know, uh, what the Home Office is, the policy agenda in the Home Office currently is not good for family, uh, students with families, not good for students generally. You can see students in um, economic policy in the sense of jobs, but the minimum wage is not good for people who are uh, under 21. You can see them in uh, voter ID and the way that is excluding people. So I think students are in the agenda, but I think there is an active, an active, well, let's say, a willingness to ignore evidence that that is causing harm. Mm. Uh, so I think actually mobilising is absolutely the right conversation to be having and getting people ready because the, uh, is it Section C conditions around voter registration that OFS uh, regulate universities for? Um, we can't start thinking about them in October. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, uh, universities are famously very agile and fast when it comes to decision making and planning. Uh, so I think, you know, we've got to be having those conversations now. What else, Gary? What else have we got to look forward to? Uh, it's all about the money, Jim. I think there's uh, lots of, uh, we're talking about the future in the post-general election and offer for settlement, but we've got money issues now. Uh, I think what's most on my mind is that the uh, marketing and assessment boycott is uh, in the post-mortem. Uh, the Commons Education Committee government are talking about learning the lessons or whatever can be learned from that. But we are still in a situation where, as with trains, as with board force, as with the police, where governments say, you're autonomous, you can make your money choices as you like, but we will control all of your income <laughs> uh, and your expenditure. And universities are um, ever seeing the unit resource decrease in real terms. You know, so the, econ the economic news that Rishi is looking at might be hopeful. You know, we've got a, a budget uh, tempting us to believe there's a May election. Hmm. Uh, there's inflation forecast released in this week uh, from the Bank of England. Uh, but money that there is no money in the sector and increasing expectation of delivery. So I'm mostly looking forward to seeing what happens uh, yeah. and hoping that too many people don't get harmed in the uh, mathematics not quite working. And, you know, I mean, both of you, Lily and Hannah, I mean, you know, there are open days on, right? Um, presumably at senior level, uh, both of your universities, to one degree or another, are looking at the Excel sheet thinking, blimey, <laughs> this is getting tight. And presumably there aren't loads of banners up on the open day going, well, here's what it looks like today, but it might not look like this by the end of your third year. I think there's a lot of different changes that are going on across the board with a lot of universities, especially with the structures that they're doing at Sheffield. We're currently going through a restructure process and what that's going to look like and the promises that are being made to students of what the education is going to be, even from my own experience, changed drastically. And the rights of students in that position are unknown because they're controlled by the university again, or at least the support systems in order to know what they are, are controlled by the university. So I think there's a lot that is going to change. The, we know demographics are going to change vastly. Um, PGT students, PGR students, as well as international student populations are going to change. It's going to in fact completely affect 
the cities these universities are in. Um, and I don't think there's any expectation of what that's going to look like and no planning ahead to support those students as well. Yeah. And, and uh, Hannah, I guess it's interesting, isn't it? Because we're in Finland where, you know, higher education is free, where if, if you know, a, a government gets elected and, you know, halves the funding for universities, to some extent it's kind of tough luck, isn't it? But, yeah. But for students in, you know, actually around the UK, apart from, you know, home domiciled students in Scotland that stay in Scotland, for everyone else, they're being kind of sold an experience that meets a certain standard and it might not pan out like that. Yeah, so obviously, while student um, fees are fixed, which is in the best interest of students, that's not changing the income of universities. So, <laughs> so students are, um, are paying the same and they're not necessarily going to be receiving the same experience. So I'll absolutely echo what Lily said with the demographic of students. Um, we're going to have so many more PGT, PGR students coming in because the money is in research. Um, so the demographic of student populations is going to completely change and are the resources there, are universities geared up to be able to take on that demographic of students and give them what they expect? Now, on Sunday, we met up with the president of Vilnius University Students' Union in Lithuania. Uh, Livia had a chat over some noodles. So we're in, in Lithuania um, today with Liana from Vilnius University Student Representation. Um, we've been talking about a lot of interesting things, but Liana, if I had to kind of ask you, if you could kind of fix one problem at the minute, what would it be? Uh, I believe uh, ministries on def of defence, uh, law on defence and uh, inclusion of students and youth in the defence mechanism. Yeah. Okay, so what is, could you explain a little bit about what that law is? Because... That is very new, a lot of kind of defence words that has probably be quite, for a lot of our listeners, thinking, what on earth has that got to do with students and student unions at the minute? Uh, so basically, according to the new law, or at least the draft that just uh, uh, is coming to the Parliament of Lithuania, uh, students would have to mandatory enter the service uh, when they study in and work at the service uh, from Saturday to Sunday for nine months. So basically that means that universities should stop their study process that is happening right now at many universities in Lithuania uh, for many study programs on Saturdays and students uh, wouldn't uh, be able to continue their study process. So this is a huge problem and for universities and for students too because they have to stop their study process basically to just because they have to mandatory enter the service. And the trainings. So they would have to go, they would still have to study Monday to Friday? And then they'd have to go to basically train in, in for the def like military defence on a weekend. Yes, absolutely. So they basically wouldn't have any left day off from studies or from trainings. Yeah. Hi, uh, my name is Karl Hameri. I'm the chancellor of the University of Helsinki. And uh, uh, contrary to the U UK universities, the chancellor is an academic leader. So I'm a professor as a background, and uh, that's how I look the things I'm active on. Oh, wow, that's, that is quite different from some of our vice chancellors. Um, the thing that I wanted to ask is, what is one thing that you think UK universities could learn from either the University of Helsinki or um, Finnish universities more generally? Uh, that's, that's a very good question, because usually uh, the question is asked the other way around. Because UK being a, a bigger country and in more, many senses a leader in the Europe mm -hmm. in terms of universities and, and uh, the whole university sector. But I must say that uh, Finland has, in my point of view, 
some strengths. Uh, one being that uh, I think the balance between the governmental support and uh, other support uh, from uh, foundations, uh, private persons, private foundations, private uh, companies. Uh, I think the balance is maybe uh, from our point of view better. We are responsible for the government on what we're doing. Uh, the students will be helping the, the government overall. And uh, therefore, the government takes the most responsibility funding the universities. But we have to be, in order to be successful, we have to be very active in fundraising, in uh, external funding in general. And I think we have more or less uh, a good balance at the moment. I mean, we visited the University of Helsinki and we were really impressed with the the value of education that in, in Finland as a whole, um, the way that the public really values education, but also the way that the university engages with students. It's so embedded in, in the core of what the university does. Um, how do you, like as, as chancellor or with, with, this, with the staff that you oversee, how do you feel that the university works well with students and student unions generally? Well, first of all, uh, I think uh, the university is us. All of us, uh, the staff, the leaders of the university, and the students. So we are like one community with different roles. The students are absolutely not our customers. Our customer is, if, if you want to put it that way, is uh, the Ministry of Education, who is funding us. But the students are. Uh, part of the community so we work very closely with the students and in my role I think it's it's important to meet the students frequently all the time uh, the of course the leaders of the student unions that that's very imp- important part of my by new duty also we have very strong nations I don't know if you have this concept but students coming from different Uh, geographical areas of Finland, they form nations and they have their history they have their annual uh, celebrities and, and I, I want to participate and, and the university staff and leaders participate their activities frequently so you have to have an ongoing communication all the time to, to make the barrier very low, to, to really let the students who come and go let them feel that they are part of the community even if they stay only a few years compared to us now next up this week we've published some stuff on sleep lily yeah on the site we've been looking at the effect of sleep on students we found relationships between life satisfaction rapidly dropping and anxiety levels rapidly accelerating and it showed that students got an average of 5.4 hours a night which i can confirm seems pretty accurate to me um so yeah the connection there between academic performance mental health even your own physical health as well is just so drastic and it plays such a massive role in how you experience university both in life outside of it and within it Um, so yeah, it was looking at the importance of that and the connection to your outcomes. Now, Hannah, should we worry about this? Surely, you know, you're students, you know, they're out partying, uh, you know, all the cliches. Does it really matter? This? Well, it's like you said, it's a, it's a stereotype, isn't it, that students don't sleep, they're always out partying. But I think 
cost of living crisis, students are so time poor, they're working, they're getting up, they're going to university, they're going to work, they're getting there three, four, five hours, and then they're getting up and doing it all over again. So it's something that should definitely be thought about um, just in terms of keeping students sane, really. What should we do about this, Gary? I mean, you know, I mean, what do we do? Start lectures at 11 a.m.? I mean, you know, there's... Well, I think there's quantity and quality arguments uh, in this. And I think um, I'm really pleased that uh, where I work at Durham University, we sort of got into the data and engaged with this conversation a couple of years ago when our student wellbeing strategy um, started doing uh, research and actions around students' leave quite a few years ago, actually. Um, I think it's part of a broader uh, progressive woke nonsense agenda around recognising that people are humans uh, in the same way that uh, conversation around menopause or around um, uh, fertility and that sort of stuff, things that actually we just have to go, people do this like they sleep, sleep is affected by things and it affects outcomes. Um, I do think it is a um, thing that can be subject to policy conditions. <laughs> of course it can. Um, some of which we control universities, some of which are broader in the world. Mm. I think we have got to be thinking about timing of practical activities. Well, I was fascinated this week, I uh, had a conversation with uh, an exec director at Tampere uh, University who said that actually, you know, that we're in the land of the midnight sun. And actually they <laughs> get like four hours of sunlight at some point and it affects mood. And, and then they get... Um, uh, that, uh, part of the year when they get um, nothing but dark and their face moving in a different way and they can't sleep and it's, it's, it's fascinating. So I do think universities are famously clever places. Um, this research is a really good start to thinking about um, easy interventions. Top of my list, if I was going to do anything, um, it is actually about 24-hour libraries. I believe they are a harm. Um, I absolutely would stop people being, <laughs> like we fetishise three o'clock in the morning essay writing. Like, stop it. Um, do things around assessment time, around assessment length, around assessment format. They don't require people to um, do competitive sleeplessness. I'll tell you the bit that I thought was really interesting, Lily, right? So when I was going through the numbers last weekend, um, obviously we kind of know that lots of students are in part-time work, right? Mm -hmm. Of course we know that, yeah? Um, and we know that public transport's all over the place, particularly post-Brexit. You know, lots of bus companies are having problems with, you know, staffing their buses mm. and so on. And we also know that lots of students are not actually particularly close to city centres. You know, they're having to live kind of further and further out in some cases. But, it, it, you, you know, those, you, where you look at some stats, and you go, well, of course that's true. And actually the thing that, that really, and I put this in the blog, is, um, of course, the more that students are working in part-time jobs the more their average travel time is a week. And of course that makes sense because if you're traveling an hour to a shift and then an hour back and you've got four different shifts, four shifts across the course of four weeks, that's lots of extra hours that you're adding in on travel time. And, and, and I guess, you know, that surely must be a worry that there are some students who don't really need the money and are kind of fine and maybe, you know, got the odd shift somewhere, maybe once a week. And then there are other students and, you know, if they're working sort of 31 to 35 hours a week, on average, that add in another sort of eight hours travel time per week. There's not a lot of many hours left to do anything else, is there? I know, I think at the moment, especially with the fees and the costs that we're having at university, students are trying to squeeze out as much of the activity as they can. And in order to do that, at the moment with rising costs and inflation, you have to pay more. So in order to have the experience that you were once promised, that you saw, that you dreamed of when you wanted to, let's say, go to university, you now have to do a lot more in order to get there and to see people who are able to afford that and the idea is the image that you are sold is the people who can afford to go out every couple of nights they can go and have a meal or have a drink or do whatever they wish to do get part take part in that society do this every day um, 
and you're sold that as the norm. And I think that's where we go wrong. And not everyone also wants to do that, but there's an expectation that you have to live up to that standard of living. And I think it sets this terrible precedent that going on past university, that this is supposed to be how your work-life balance is managed. Yeah. And a work-life balance like this, you have no time to rest, to stop, breathe for a second. Because in order to be able to do the importance of your teaching and your expectations of studies outside of your classes and seminars and labs and whatever that you do study, you then have to put in twice the amount of effort outside of it and especially with the travel costs as well with those rising um, and that being such a barrier for participation for a lot of students i think there's such this pressure put on the student population at the moment that they have to live up to this ideology that we have yeah yeah and and, and potentially will blame themselves if they can't kind of hit that the guilt that you feel yeah yes. yeah, yeah, yeah i think you've, you've got to bear in mind that in, there are very many students who are required to travel so i think one of the unintended policy consequences around health reorganization teaching organization those things where actually placements and um the catchment areas for placements are so large and complex that your students don't get to opt out of that it's not like you know for listeners who wonder that students could work closer isn't there a super drug <laughs> within a couple of minutes yeah. um, but actually people who are on medical courses or teaching courses or nursing or all those sorts of professionals people who are doing business courses on sandwich years um, have to be able to move and actually that brings in housing costs it brings in transport costs and it brings in time mm. and that brings in sleep uh, you know you can be based in Sheffield uh, and have a medical placement in Derby um, it's crackers yeah I mean look Hannah it, 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 the, 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 the naughty thing is to call your job VP fun right I mean a, a vice president activities in the student union is thinking a lot about student development and extracurricular activities and you know we've certainly seen a lot of kind of examples of students engaged in, in different sorts of extracurricular activities in both kind of relatively poor nations and relatively rich nations actually across the course of the week but um, it's really hard isn't it at the moment for some students to even consider getting involved in some of that stuff when they've got so many other of these kind of burdens. Yeah, it's huge. So um, when you're talking about student engagement, one thing that I keep harping on about to everybody is that students are so time poor. So we're out and we're preaching to students like you should join your academic society, you should go play sports, you should do varsity, you should play books. And students just don't have the time. And it's where then priorities overlap. What are they supposed to pick? And they're obviously picking their studies, but some students aren't able to and they have to pick the work. Um, and it just becomes a massive, massive problem. Because like I said earlier, people are getting up, they're studying, they're going to uni, they're going straight to work. And then when them students are engaged in their extracurricular activities, they don't, they are not sleeping. Not, there's no time <laughs> yeah, left over. Yeah. I know. Gabby, there are things that could help, aren't there? I mean, yeah, as ever, with almost every problem in higher mm. education, mm -hmm. it's easy to go, oh God, don't blame universities mm. again yeah. for this. But there are some things that universities can do, right? Yeah, absolutely. I do think um, the underappreciated fact in terms of uh, student commitment is they want to do well. Uh, I mean, that sounds like a daft thing to say, but if I start there, then of course they want to commit time and then sleep and effort. Um, so when you are in charge of the things they have to do well at, um, you do have a responsibility, I think, to reflect upon um, how you organise that and what you do. Um, I think 24-hour libraries are the bane of my life. I've never, I've never <laughs> believed in them. Um, but there are some things around um, how you incentivise alcohol, of course, but I, but I really think it, it's easy to focus on the uh, fun stuff because people see people doing it. You know, that is out in the public. Mm. But actually, the sleeplessness is generally in people's bedrooms. Um, I think that Wonky has done some brilliant research uh, and engaged in some discussions around loneliness and people engaging online communities and actually that affecting things, which is around time difference and asynchronous um, communications. And I think uh, there's a well-published and well-discussed agenda around how you combat that with other um, forms of thinking thing. The route for me is to mean to do it. Mm. So that's why I'm particularly pleased that um, Durham SU and Durham University are thinking about sleep and how it affects well-being because it is a relevant factor. So it's it's um, 
affected by lots of things. Um, I suppose the headline assumption is to factor it, I think, for me, into assessments around uh, whether disabled people, um, that is a particular factor when people engage in any other form of assessment for support. Uh, so if somebody enters for money support or healthcare support or disabled support, understanding that that is a relevant factor to consider yeah. uh, when that comes up. And, you know, all of our student support professionals are trying to get under the skin of what's presented. And I think that is, uh, this research suggests that that would be a really useful thing to start talking about because of this, can I ask you how it impacts? Yeah. That feels like a really easy thing to do. Yes. Now, Lily, look, um, you know, whinging Jim moaning about the sex for all of the time, I think would say, um, you know, this this is the year, folks, to get that timetabling system sorted. And this really is the year to put you back into a proper strategy for maximising the number of part-time jobs that students are able to access near to campus, you know, kind of big, big projects. But um, the other thing I overuse a lot, right, is um, a few, I can't remember if I've said it on the podcast before, but a few months ago I was reading one of the free text comments in one of our surveys, and a student said that coming to campus is like going to the cinema on your own, right? And I thought what was really kind of interesting about that is that I figure that you know in the next few weeks it's January, a bunch of new modules will start in a new semester, and some of those modules will start with students kind of getting to know each other and some group activities and and, and students being taught in a way that causes them at least to spend some time with other students when they're mm -hmm. actually on campus. And I guess there are other students who will enrol onto some modules this semester and they won't really get to spend much time with other students or engaging with other students. And, you know, that, that sort of just that really small day to day stuff about what academic staff do really matters, too, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. I think it's learning to collaborate with people in a lot of different ways and settings. And this is going from someone myself. I would be the person who walked into a lecture theatre and depending on the day, I'd go and start a conversation with a brand new person or I'd sit down on my own and get on with my work. And it completely depended on that. And that didn't mean that you still didn't have those interactions in other settings, whether it was societies or just out and about in the city. Um, and I definitely think there's an importance of making sure that we're seeing university as a development, a personal development for life after university and not just an academic growth mechanism. And I think that's something that the university per se might not be utilizing as much as it can be the skills that you can develop through societies and we should be engaging in those more as a sector and making sure that we're rewarding those for partaking in those activities because when you look at a massive form of loads of different cvs in the future a recruiter isn't going to go oh you've all got the same thing they're going to spot the thing that you did outside of the box yes. the new thing that you didn't have to do and i think we as universities and su's should be pushing students to engage in those activities more yes. but with the time crunch that we've got at the moment and people feeling and needing to have part-time jobs, there's just less incentive to want to do any of that. Yes. And, 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 and Hannah, look, um, one of the things that really struck me earlier, I don't know about you, um, you know, we, we often say, and actually Lily just said, um, want, you know, you want to be able to say that you've done things outside of your course, right? But of course, we have seen some models this week, haven't we, where students are able to gather academic credit for what we traditionally in the UK regard as extra to your course, but actually are very much regarded in all, you know, to some extent in all of the countries we've been to as core to the educational experience and therefore attracting academic credit and therefore students have got time to do it. Yeah, yeah. So there's been some really, really interesting models. Um, it's fascinating. It's something I came away today really thinking about. It's fascinating to look at um, and how we could facilitate that. Um, I think it's difficult where, like you say, students are so time poor, they're having to pick one or the other. Um, but honestly, I think it all comes back around to money. It's how are students funding themselves? How are students feeding themselves? How are they paying their rent? It's, for me, all about cost of living and how students are affording to survive. Um, Pre-COVID, I don't necessarily think it was so much of an issue. Obviously, now it's huge. So if there was some way that 
things could be um, rewarded with academic credit or even monetary, um, I know is huge, but it would just change the the way students live completely. Mm. And, you know, one other thing that kind of flows off that, Gary, um, the kind of food thing here, mm. in, here in Finland. Yeah. I mean, you know, there is not a chance in, in the kind of economy we have with the kind of tax system we have mm-hmm. that we're about to get food to be subsidised to the extent no. it is in... Um, you know, Finland, right? You know, people aren't going to be able to go in and have their lunch every day for three euros and, and it meeting sustainability standards and be nutritious and so on. But, but you know, for me, one of the things that's been interesting about being in, in, in Finland is it's not just how cheap having a lunch on campus is. It's why it's cheap on campus. Mm-hmm. Eating well and being healthy as a result of what you put in your stomach is part... It, it, you know, people understand here the relationship between eating and health and your overall development and your ability to succeed and so on. And, you know, I, I, I get the sense that sometimes the people that are organising and renegotiating those contracts in, in the UK might have a couple of sustainability presentations that they can give to border governors. But apart from that, it's getting the money, Yeah, isn't it? absolutely. I think um, I broadly agree with you that you can't see it happening in the UK if you imagine the only source of subsidy is government or institutions. Mm. One of the great things about, uh, I think, what we've seen in Finland is that students are doing it with themselves. Mm. In the, because of historical circumstance, you know, they, they seem to own most of Helsinki. <laughs> um, in, in terms of land, and, and it's genuinely interesting, listeners, uh, in terms of being granted land hundreds of years ago, and then it, uh, the city centre moving and it acquiring value. It's a really fascinating story. But they're choosing to invest the profits not in shinier facilities or uh, more marketing or you know hoodies or whatever. They're subsidising, as you say, Jim, um, social good. Um, now, absolutely not getting into food bullying at all. I think when I understand like good eating and healthy eating, it's about doing it in companies, about doing it regularly, it's about being able to do it cheaply around your studies. And um, so we've had a lovely. Um, Vegan meal in one of their restaurants this afternoon, uh, which would normally be €2.95 um, subsidised. And we spoke to the chief executive of the organisation that provides it. Uh, and students do it you know, a couple of meals a day because it, it is available, it is local. Uh, they've got 16 across Helsinki. It's brilliant. I think the um, fascinating side uh, benefits of that to me is that they talk uh, about being a leader in the field of sustainability. So in terms of where they procure their products, they haven't sold a beef for seven years, I think it was. Um, every meal doesn't have its calories and uh, bullying people in that way, but it does have its carbon offset. <laughs> so you can make choices based upon that. Um, and it is good food. I think one of the traditions which apparently comes from Sweden that has moved over is, I'm going to get this wrong, sitkas, which is the benefit of eating in company and talking and sharing that sort of thing. You know, it's something we see a lot of places like Durham, actually, um, in that benefit of um, decompression, thinking, being able to do that in company, combating loneliness and talking about your course. So I think, if you think about where you've got that, I mean, spare money, uh, who's got that, but if you think about where, where you choose to invest your money, they've invested it in students being well yeah. and not facilities uh, to enable them to um, to extrapolate profit to then put into services to do well. It's keeping it, it's keeping it where the wellness is generated, yeah. not assuming that I will make you all more well uh, <laughs> if you trust me, but you, need, but you need to give me your service. Yeah. It's, it's just such a fascinating trust yeah. in people being able to do that for themselves. Now, on Monday, we saw the president of the Latvian Students' Union, Lina Levada. Uh, uh, here's what she had to say. So uh, one of the big things that's going to happen in the next three years is uh, we're uh, refurbishing our financing system because now we have like the money goes follows the student to the student follows the money. You know, we uh, each stated fund. Like uh, right now, the uh, ministry signs the agreement with the higher education institutions about how many state-funded places are going to be in which program, which is quite, you know, it's not very... The elasticity, the flexibility, the flexibility is not great. And uh, and now we're moving towards, like, kind of a 
uh, lump sum funding that uh, the higher uh, the, the ministry gives like a sum of money and then the university decides what does they want to do with it, how many state funded places, how many fee uh, places and stuff like that. And of course, uh, well, we'll see. <laughs> That's very interesting. They're gonna, in the agreement, we haven't seen the, that we're gonna have a pilot project now, right now in the technical university oh, this right. year. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, so to, see if, to see if there are downsides. And if, uh, yeah, yeah, what's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, but um, there are going to be things put into the agreement. I mean, but, you know, it's like not, it's not like technical university can just close all of its engineering programs, <laughs> that we have, for, for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are going to be some, I think, outcomes. Like you need to have around this many uh, uh, um, oh. alumni of yeah, this graduate sorry yeah uh, <laughs> english is not english uh graduates in this field and but we're we're waiting because this, us as a student you know, it's also important of us to see the general requirements because yeah. pilots usually become regulation yeah. um yeah, yeah. What else? What else? Yeah. Uh, what else? Yeah, we're moving towards the institutional accreditation of the higher education institutions because right now, once you get the institutional accreditation, you can be in university forever if you don't. <laughs> uh, like nobody checks uh, whether like we have uh, like in the study field accreditation, which is a very weird system. All of the international experts who come for, for accreditation are. Yeah, but uh, what, what what is this? That you know, like most of the Europe, they have like institutional accreditation every five to seven years, but uh, we're very slow on on the implementation of that, on the regulation and all of that stuff because of capacity problems in yeah. the governmental sector. But uh, one other question. Yeah. yeah. The agreement on international student recruitment. Yeah. Yeah. How did that come about? You know, because clearly I was reading this one deals with agents and. What do you mean? With support. It's like you've got an agreement between universities to improve international student recruitment? We have the good uh, good practice yeah, in attracting the international yeah, students. Right. I think it's quite, it's the first one was signed, I don't know, it's been a while because um, like we've been having international since the 90s. Uh, but um, um, we also, of course, it's not, we also have our bad apples. We have our private universities who are kind of a diploma mills who are just uh, cash grabbing from internationals. And uh, institutional accreditation is supposed to also get rid of them, but we're uh, we're also like trying to work towards uh, be doing an extraordinary accreditation in them if we get enough, you know, students uh, complaints about it, because there have been some some very problematic cases of they just take the, taking the money, but the the studies are for, the studies are we're supposed to be face to face, but they're taking the money, and the student the studies are in Zoom, and uh, I, I probably you know the same thing and. Uh, so yeah, the, the the good practice it's a it's an unbinding thing. You sign it, and they have a whole committee. They just they see the data on whether you're still doing the good thingies. Um, it's a quite a quality symbol for uh, international students. It, it does exist. We we would love it for it to be like legally binding, you know, for everyone. But maybe steps. <laughs> hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. 
like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, so we are currently in Helsinki. Um, we have met lots of interesting people today. Um, today we are currently with Axeli, who is an ex-Sul, which is the one of the national unions of Finland. Um, so I'm going to kind of pass it over to Axeli to give us a little bit of a rundown about the current political environment um, and in student politics and wider Finnish politics. Yeah, so first of all, it's a pleasure to be here. So my name is Akseli Rovari. Um, I work as a consultant these days uh, with political-related things, mostly green transition, but also higher education policy. And before that, my background is in student politics especially. I think that um, I went into student politics and, and went through that route and, and uh, was, was working in the National Union of University Students of Finland, so SUL, in the year 2021. I was working mostly with social policy, uh, climate and environmental matters and the communications. So um, I've been very involved with the Finnish student movement for a long time. And, and I think the student movement in Finland generally is, is very interesting and, and a benchmark because uh, students have uh, quite a lot of power in the Finnish system. Student politics is kind of a big thing in here. And then again, for example, we have lots of ex-politicians, uh, former poli- uh, current politicians who are uh, ex people coming from the student movement so I could say maybe 50% of, of the people that are working in politics might even even have some kind of background in student politics so so that's really interesting actually our current prime minister Petteri Orpo uh, was the general secretary of SUL I think something like 25 years ago so uh, even even those kinds of people have a student policy background so so that's also a thing that uh, highlights the influence of students in the Finnish society. Is that going to be you in a few years' time then, since you're going to go and be Prime Minister soon? (laughs) Um, One of the things that we were chatting about earlier was about how the politicians are really actually quite keen to listen to, to student views. And part of that, I think, from what I've gathered, and correct me if I'm wrong, is because of their background in student politics, they're, they're, they're often kind of, right, well, what would benefit students in this way? And... To put it bluntly, that is quite the opposite sometimes. It, at least at the moment, it feels like that in, in UK politics. Um, and you were telling us a little bit about the, the campaign that, that you helped run around um, student mental health and that kind of thing. Could you tell us a little bit more about that, if possible? Yeah, for sure. So uh, I think that in in general, um, students are well received in the Finnish society or student life is quite bright and, and colourful in many ways. There's lots of things you can do. And that's also a thing why... Even the older generations, many of the politicians have a fondness towards students and they've been in the position themselves and they've been working um, in, in student politics. So so that's that's kind of a big thing why why many people are eager also to understand the point of view because they remember their own time and they have some empathy towards the position that students are in now. Um, especially the mental health thing, I think that was the biggest single thing that we were we were advocating for when I was in Seoul uh, three years ago. So... Um, 
um, the student mental health crisis has been going going to to uh, has has been a continuous topic during the last years here, and especially uh, when the Corona crisis started, uh, it was highlighted in many surveys and researches. Some researchers were even saying that uh, two thirds of the students in the University of Helsinki were having some kind of symptoms of of uh, of, of feeling feeling burned out or fearing feeling their mental health getting worse. So so I think think those issues have been very highlighted in the society. So we actually did a big advocacy campaign during that year. I we have two thousand members uh, in the Parliament of Finland, and I met over half of those during that year to discuss about these matters. And I was especially in charge when I was uh, when I was doing social policy. My my special highlight was on the financial situation of students because we have lots of researchers, lots of lots of current uh, current statistics that so uh, show that because there has been cuts to the funding of Finnish um, student benefits, the money that fi- Finnish students get, uh, those are very much correlated with the mental health situation of Finland. So when we have cuts and when people uh, ha- have more stress over their financial situation, their mental health uh, go, uh, go goes worse. So I think that was something that we were trying to highlight and we were trying to get the decision makers to understand that even though it costs money to uh, invest to the student benefits now, it also um, it's an important thing because uh, it, it will cost the society even more money in the future if the people are going to be burned out when they get out of the university, when they go to working life. They're not going to be as efficient. They're not Gonna, we, we're gonna have a, a rise of, of, of people being off work because of mental health reasons, being people being not able to work because of mental health reasons. So, so I think that's that's a part of the economic policy discussion that we we were trying to bring forward, and I think we had some good success in many ways because um, politics is always a marathon, not a sprint. So, so it takes time to get some changes across, and actually, uh, this year, uh, last year, 2023, when we had the new government. Then basically in the government program, um, they made the decision to implement this uh, this uh, this this um, system called the uh, guaranteed therapy for all the all the youth in Finland, so people under 30. So that was a big thing we advocated for during that year, and it didn't happen that year, but it is in the government program now. Even though the government is is quite right wing, they even they adopted that because they understand that the mental health crisis is is a bad thing. So I think that that was something. To to be proud of, and and I'm happy that we could get that across. Even though I'm still frustrated that many many of the other things we haven't gotten across. For example, regarding the students' financial situation, it hasn't been getting any better. But uh, small victories are are also important ones. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we've seen similar research in the UK that you know students being worried about uh, financial costs really does impact their their well-being and their ability to perform well. I think one thing we've all been like shocked and absolutely fascinated by is the value that Finnish society and, and the government in particular seems to really put in in education and particularly higher education it feels really valued and, and celebrated like there's, there's a student day um, in May I think I'm right in saying um, and that feels really really foreign to us actually um, could you tell us a little bit about maybe why you think that is is that a long tradition or is that something that's been fairly new yeah I think 
uh, think generally, as I said, the Finnish student life life is very lifeful, very very bright, bright in many ways, and and there's lots of things going on, and and students are an important part of this society. And I think in Finland, the education has always been the corner, cornerstone of our country, the building block that we 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 have had our best economic innovations, our best best companies, or or uh, the biggest things we have contributed to to the world are usually. Uh, somewhat related to the educational system so that's been something that we've been focusing on and I think the respect towards students in the whole society is a big part of that, that thing so we understand that that uh, for us to try in the future we need to uh, invest in education we need to have people who are are uh, are valued parts of the society so so I think think that's that's been an important thing in Finland of course we have had some situations where there has been budget cuts to education in the past because of the economical situations but but I think it's it's widely understood at this time that that's not the way forward so only uh, giving more resources to education and 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 highlighting the need to 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 for people to uh, highlighting the need for educational um for our educational system to thrive is 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 the important way for us to, uh forward in the future too so yeah i think for us in 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 britain is that universities and the higher education institutions really value education but beyond that in public life it's kind of left so um but brilliant thank you so much for chatting to us today Axeli. um it's been fab meeting you And finally, right. So, um, what else, Hannah? Have you uh, have you had your um, mind blown by this week? I don't even know where to start, honestly. So, um, this week we've been to a few countries. Um, we've spoken to loads and loads of higher education institutions, um, student activities, student unions, about what they've been up to um, and what they're looking at going forwards. Um, so, we've spoken to fraternities, sororities. Um, I don't even know where to begin with it. We've, yeah, I've had my mind blown. Uh, Gary, what's uh, you know what 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 uh, you, you've been on a couple of these? Um, yeah. any, any, anything stand out this time around? Yeah. Whenever I come on these, what absolutely fascinates me is the thoughtfulness of of the places. Like it, they're not um, uh, ostentatious, or difficult, but they do put um, something which something in front of you, which is go. I understand you and what you think is important. So we're at the University of Helsinki today, and one that uh, they just had a slide going. You know, here's some marketing, uh, and our host was going. I need to tell you this. It, it's about the university. But one of their values was Bildung. I didn't know what that word was. I googled it live. And it's uh, a German philosophy that I'm going to absolutely misrepresent. It's about education which grows the social being. Like It's not about materialist education uh, per se, you know, and that I'm not having to go on that. That has its use. But it's about going, we grow the whole person here. Now, it occurs to me that um, no shade on any UK university, but we are generic. We also say we are distinctive. We are different from the others. Come to us, but also our values are um, considerate and um, <laughs> exactly the same sustainability. <laughs> possibly funds in there. Um, but this place says I've got an educational philosophy, and it is about whole person growth and mm. learning. I suppose um, not to fit two in one and that whole thing. But I've also been really interested here about the, how they describe themselves as young nations. Mm. That philosophy uh, because of the history of this part of the world, which is fascinating. Uh, and in Estonia and Latvia, what really fascinated me from uh, the sororities that uh, were mentioned, and I think we're going to come on to in a bit. Um, was uh, they spoke about patriotism. Like student society said, it is our job to make being Estonian something that people think is good. Actually, um, I am older than the current state of Estonia. <laughs> like, and, and they view it as something to be cherished. Mm. Like, it is something to promote. 
And their student societies aren't just about fun, although that's got its place, or functional skill development. Mm. It's about um, who is going to cherish this place going forward if we don't. So I just think they, um, in all the countries we've seen, we have seen a, a philosophy that isn't stuffy, but is lived. Mm. And then you go home, and we're the best in the world. Like, I, I think we miss that. Like, I, don't know what, I don't know why we think we're doing these things. Yeah, interesting. I mean, I, I don't know about you, Lily, right? But one, of, one of my reflections on the week is, um, whenever I kind of roam around campuses in the UK, there's always a load of stuff about the past. Like, this is how old we are. Look, this is how, this is how far the university dates back. Um, you know, we've got a long, proud history here, blah, blah, blah. We're kind of obsessed with the past, like the country is obsessed with the past. But there's a, there's a hell of a lot of kind of looking to the future here, isn't there? Yeah, I definitely think that's something that we were talking about today, the progression of a lot of these institutions, even the oldest of them, which predate a lot of our institutions back home. And I think it's that connectivity between both the local community and the government here and the respect for students as well that links everyone together. I think that's such a community that we are all supporting one another, especially with the models that we've seen here where they have universities and universities of applied sciences which completely prepare students of any kind to, for the labour environment of the specifically here in Helsinki. And that completely changes and adapts with what is happening. And I think we're quite stuck in our ways back home and we aren't as progressive, but we have the potential to be. And I don't think we look at models like this. I think it was it was slightly different when we were um, in the likes of Lithuania and looking at those kind of models and what they have in terms of the patriotism there and the one to kind of gather and support each other in the community that they now are able to have. And I think that was completely vastly different from what you see now in Finland, which was what I would say a lot more progressive. Um, but it's definitely interesting to see how universities and SUs and the government interact with one another. I found that very drastic from what we have back home. I think there's a lot of assumption that you're in this antagonistic relationship with the university in a really positive way where you're challenging one another. Mm. But here it was more of a teamwork, a collaboration. And I got the sense that universities saw the power and potential of students' unions as lobbying tools, as progressive generators of students for the many generations to come to progress the country and it was a different thing than we see now I think there's somewhat a rhetoric back home where the voices of these whether extreme views as some may say are being shut down whereas we should be harnessing them and letting those kind of conversations and whether they are antagonistic or not they'll they're progressive in some way or another and they help you to develop your own personal opinion on things and I think that's where the frustration is happening back home, was not seeing the want from universities to expand our views. Um, and that's what you expect from higher education and FE education. And it's just been so fantastic to see that it can work here. Mm. Now, 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 Hannah, in, in three of the four countries we've been to, students on university committees have a veto. I was literally just about to talk about something. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, I, I was because I, I kind of knew this, because, you know, I've kind of, kind of done some of this before. Um, and I was kind of looking around the room when it, 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 each time it happened. And, and I think that I think people's assumption is that that must automatically mean it's been used several times and there have been massive big blow-ups. But um, it's kind of interesting that all of them said they barely ever happened. Yeah, students here are viewed as such an integral part of the system and just the population as a whole. And local government and national government really think about students when they make decisions. Um, and I don't necessarily think that that is something that we have in the UK. Um, I think some institutions have some really good relationships with their local government and their councils. Um, but the students here, that veto right is so important because it just shows that they're given due thought when processes are being made. And um, the fact that they've not had to use it so much is amazing because it shows that the government are actually doing their diligence when it comes to students and what students want and what students need because students are such a huge part of 
our economy, of our demographic. And the students here are proud of their education, so it goes both ways, I think. Um, and I don't know if that's necessarily something we're lacking a little bit. Um, students here are so proud of where they come from and where they studied. Um, and they really care about their local government and they, they feed into it. Um, yeah, it's been fascinating. Tell you the other thing I think is really interesting, Gary, right? Even the kind of full-time student representatives that are sort of, you know, in the, you know, going to the big university committees and so on, they always, they always talk about their subject, right? Mm. They, they talk a lot about this, you know, they're a geographer or they, you know, they're, uh, they study business, you know, you know, you know whatever, uh, and so on. And, and I don't get much of a sense of that in the UK. Am, am I talking to the wrong people? No, I mean, I think one of the things which uh, listeners might not know is, is it's really easy to read um, some research, some commentary, you know, I'm thinking about some of the works by uh, Rachel Brooks or by uh, Villa Rapper at Durham um, about um, student unions and student activism. I think they're apples for apples. But actually, in uh, Europe, uh, student unions don't do societies. They don't do commercial trading. You know, there's good historical reasons for that. But actually, they uh, conceive themselves as intrinsically linked between students as people who study and university decision-making bodies. So therefore, of course, they'd organise around departments, mm. around courses. Like the other stuff that we would recognise in the UK around social groups and around uh, being able to uh, buy meals from each other, as, uh, as I've spoken about before, does exist, but they're not in the same body. Like It's not a, a single organisation that delivers those, like the UK. Now, I'm going to go back and think about um, what does that mean? You know, that, that's the purpose of these trips. You're not meant to copy and paste. It's a reflective um, conversation. But I do think what I've seen here in terms of the benefits of um, departments or academic units, you know, that sort of thing, is that they use it as a basis for um, culture building, what we would probably call induction. But, but if you call it induction here, you're not getting the half of it because that kills it. It's like, it's like um, you know, putting a butterfly in a case. It's like, that's not the point of it. Like, like they do it for themselves and teach each other the behaviours and the cultures and the skills and the uh, tips and tricks of their uh, unit. They do the overalls, the coveralls that we mentioned previously, and wear badges. And none of their badges are about skills or competition. You know, I've, I've checked, I've asked a lot of questions about that because it fascinates me. They're just about turning up. Like, if you are here, we want to recognise it. If you've come, we want to say, well done for coming, please come again. Um, what was fascinating, I suppose, just a bit aside, is um, they absolutely have a, a culture of questioning quite seriously um, curriculum, assessment methods, teaching delivery, um, like what we would call um, the business of a board of study. Mm. But again, like a butterfly, if you take it to a board of study, it dies. Mm. Like with them, it's live. Like it's a conversation that um, I think in the UK we have an impression that we need to start students talking about their education. That otherwise, they're like sitting in the cupboard or just talking about um, tequila or something. And they're never talking about teaching or the quality of the library or that sort of stuff. They're doing it all the time. Like we need to listen. Like student voice is becoming a phrase I'm really hating. I'm thinking more about like institutional ears. Um, whereas actually here, it is natural mm. it feels like something that is happening all the time and if you create the system for it you're not getting the point mm. um, you actually just need to be there <laughs> that's interesting i think you know, you know the other thing i was thinking on the bus the other day really right is um you know there's a lot of individuals in the uk and what i mean by that is you know there's a student union officer or there's a um, faculty rep or a course rep right mm -hmm. And one of the things I think is kind of interesting in, to some extent, all four countries is you rarely hear people talking about a person, right? Mm. You will hear people talking about a board or an association or a chapter or a, a guild or whatever. There are lots of kind of groups. Like, like the sense is that 
Um, what you have to do is get people together in a, in a sort of cooperative way to kind of look after each other and serve each other and so on. Whereas in the UK, there's, do you want to be a rep or do you want to go and there's one person for you and so on and so on. And I don't know, is that, is that, is that something we could change? Is that, is, is that just British? I mean, <laughs> you know, what you, is it, is it because this bit of Europe is much better at voluntary sector and associative activity? I don't know. I think it comes with perhaps the level of trust within a university and its students' union as well. Uh, and us feeling like we have to appoint specific reps for this and that, and you can't be this, and you're a tutor here, and you're an academic rep here, and you represent these people here. And realistically, it's just the want to, to completely represent people. And I think Sheffield, we have fantastic student representation, and we get a lot of students turning up to council meetings and the democratic systems that we have, and it's fantastic. But even we're seeing, okay, we overcomplicate it. You should be able to have influence in no and we should be supporting and facilitating that as a body. I think there's been a movement of SUs having to take, and universities too, with duty of care, having to take up a lot of res different responsibilities that we once didn't have to do. And in terms of advocacy and lobbying, we've seen a lot of that here. And it's a completely different dynamic with a lot of the SUs here I've seen, especially when we were in Estonia. The SUs had responsibility for the experiences and the joy of a lot of the students. And it wasn't as much about the advocacy. That responsibility, because of the connection with the government, was reliant upon the national unions. And that was fantastic to see the channels that those could go through. But I think we're a completely different dynamic in the UK. And it's I'm not saying that in a bad thing. I love the amount of activism that we have on a local scale. And I think it's about saying, OK, how can we take those incredible groups of student activists and amplify those voices and help to network and organize students across the country because we have so much of that and i think i've seen the contrast between europe there's definitely pockets of it um, and incredible pockets of it who have a lot of power within the government as well and that kind of influence and soft influence and um, that we necessarily currently back home don't have um, but i don't think we're utilizing what we do have in any way now, now hannah I, I overuse this a lot right but um my, one of my other reflections this week has been um, if you open those Sunday supplements in August, right, it will say you're about to be thrown in at the deep end of higher education, right? Uh, and you might sink, you might swim, you know, blah, blah, this whole, this whole idea of being thrown in at the deep end. And these are pretty deep ends these days, right? You know, massive courses, massive cohorts, massive campuses. Um, but one of the things I've found really interesting all week is that whenever I've, I've you know, I've kind of sticking my hand up a bit too much, mm -hmm. I guess, but... Every time I've kind of asked about the new student experience, I've got a sense that what happens for new students is something really quite small, right? You know, they're in a team or they're in a group or they're being looked after by a tutor, a student tutor, or, you know, this sense that they get quite a kind of small introduction to student life, which is much more kind of human than transactional, really shines through, doesn't it? I think the peer-to-peer -peer network here is huge. Um, that's something I've really, really noticed. So students spend a lot of time with peer-to-peer. -peer. So these associations, um, kind of fall under their school that they're in. Um, they're spending a lot of time with kind of almost the people that have gone before them, like their elders on their courses. Um, and in the UK, we have peer-to-peer -peer and it's amazing, but I think sometimes peer-to-peer -peer gets lost when particularly we have student leader teams all across the country that are amazing and we utilise them so much. But I think I will say this all the time and I'm sure people are sick of me saying it, but 
what's the use of me preaching at people when I can get students to speak to each other? And I think the use of that student network <laughs> yeah. is so important and it's something we just forget sometimes. And it's just, it can be so powerful. I've seen here how powerful it can be. Putting some scaffolding into it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I guess, Gary, you know, you know, the other thing, as you know, I've overused for decades now, is banging on about the difference between a Broadway musical and a school play. Mm-hmm. You know, nine, yeah. nine out of ten Broadway musicals fail. Yeah. My, my staff hate me talking about it. Uh, I do talk yeah, about it, yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah. school plays sell out. Yeah. And, um... You know, to be fair, we've seen some decent Broadway musicals this week, both in in terms of some of the things that universities mm. and uh, student associations mm. do. But we've seen a lot more school plays, haven't we? Yeah, and we were... Uh, crikey, where was it? I can't remember. Her name was Nora. She was brilliant. <laughs> Her name was uh, Nora. She was at the front, front of the room. Um, uh, and uh, one, of the, uh, one of our group, the British people, said... And what is it about uh, Finnish people being uh, so joyful? I think it was temporary. Uh, and she went, we don't know either, we just are. And, and I think you've, you've probably heard from our conversation, like Liliana and me, that um, what we most talk is that people like doing what they're doing. Like there's challenges, but they're not really stressed. And I thought on that, um, you know, the uh, school plays, is that people like paint, you know, at their spare time, paint scenery and like sew costumes and all that sort of stuff. Um, they're, not, like, they're not paid, and that's like they're, they're not um, particularly thanked. Um, they just do it because they like it. They believe in it. It's nice. Um, and I think what we've seen here is people who who have joy in their work. I, I've said a few times, like if they came to the UK, can you imagine what we would do? <laughs> like we're just like, oh, there's not enough money. It's quite stressful. Um, we don't like it. And it and it made me, I don't know, guilt, shame. I don't know, but I sort of reflect that in the UK we whinge quite a lot. <laughs> um, and actually, if you think about the size of our institutions with the resource they've got, like the academic quality, you know, the UK's academic quality across the world, what the punch, uh, the weight we punch in research and teaching. We have got it really, really well. Um, notwithstanding, you know, we've spoken about the general election and all that sort of stuff. We're doing pretty well in the UK. We are a Broadway musical. Um, but acting like um, we're a horrible fire. Uh, <laughs> like, and we're not. We're doing really well. And I think, yeah, we've seen brilliant uh, school plays. And it's made me really just reflect on, oh, it's all right, actually. So that's about it for this week. Remember to dig a bit deeper into anything we've discussed today. You'll find links in the show notes on wonky.com. Don't forget, you can get the latest show automatically when it's out. Just search for The Wonky Show wherever you get your podcasts. And to find out how we can keep you and where you work ahead of everything going on in UKHE, do head to the site and click subscriptions. So thanks very much to Lily, Hannah, Gary, Michael Salmon, who makes the show happen behind the scenes. Uh, we'll be back next week with a normal show. Uh, until then, stay warm. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.